Hello and welcome to Minding Your Mind. Our podcast is all about your mind and, and how it works and mental illness and mental health. And I'm joined by Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. So you've probably heard the term narcissist and you probably have at least a vague idea of what it means, perhaps even an image of a particular person pops into your head. Narcissism definition, extreme self-involvement to the degree that it makes a person ignore the needs of those around them. Uh, So who hasn't been like that now and again? Some of the signs of a narcissist, an inflated sense of self-importance, check, I've had that, an excessive need for admiration, check, disregard for others' feelings. Look, Usually, I hope no, but definitely sometimes. Uh, an inability to handle any criticism. Well, I work in the media and entertainment, so yeah, obviously. And a sense of entitlement. Now, I very much dislike people with a sense of entitlement, but I've probably had it sometimes. So final nail in my narcissistic coffin. A narcissistic personality disorder is found more commonly in men and I am a man. Do a lot of us sometimes exhibit personality traits that could be considered narcissistic? I mean, we can't always be selfless angels more concerned with the good of the community than with our own needs and wants, can we? Or are they different from us, Ian? Do you have any of those tendencies? I ticked almost all of them. Geez, James, I thought you were pretty harsh on yourself there. (laughs) I mean... I love the classical narcissist narcissus story. Yes. Looking in the mirror, falling in love with your own image. Now, anyone who's looking at this podcast would be well aware. It's probably unlikely that we hop up first thing in the morning, look in the mirror, and fall in love with our own image. <laughs> Both of us, as my kids say, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say you. My kids say, Dad, great head for radio. Oh, you know, own image. But it's an interesting thing. So, so the image okay, thing. Wait, I, I just want a full disclosure yep. here. I often look in the mirror and just linger a bit. I Thinking? Do, I, do. I just, have, I just look at my, No, looking at myself. Thinking that's yeah, me? That's or, all right. Or, that's pretty that's, – I'm happy with that. You're happy with it? Yeah, I'm happy. But are you in love with it? <laughs> well, they say you should love yourself, right? Okay, so on the, on the positive side, before we say the next really negative thing for the next <laughs> half hour, that's an interesting thing to some degree, Okay. There is a self-worth issue here, a self-esteem yeah. issue. I mean, the interesting one you said at the end of that introduction, there are said to be more male narcissists. Geez, when I look at most blokes, <laughs> I find it be hard to be in love with their images. I mean, most blokes, <laughs> I think, just sitting them. <clears throat> um, somebody recently remarked about how ageing men looked. In fact, somebody on Twitter this week said, Ian, great shirt, shame about the bags under the eyes. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? it's a bit harsh. It's male. No, but it was a sort of reflection of a lot of what we see of ourselves. We don't see ourselves. Others do. Mm. Is about the physical image. It's about, and in these days and ages, we spend a lot of time adapting that, changing that, the pressure on women in particular to mm. change how they look as they age, to be some perfect thing, to be some reproduction of themselves as they were. 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's a huge amount of pressure to actually be in love with your own self-image. The great thing about the narcissist story, though, is the image couldn't love him back. So the, yeah, the, right. the heart of the whole narcissistic problem is this desire to be loved by everybody, yeah. <laughs> but actually so preoccupied with loving yourself, nobody else cares and it's a really interesting thing. And in the world I'm in, 
have to turn that into not just personality traits, which you were discussing, but say, hey, some people really go so far with this. They're very dysfunctional. And they're dysfunctional in relationships. They're dysfunctional in society. They're dysfunctional in politics. Mm. Can they we do. see it as a sort of a, uh, you know, those bushfire signs that go from low to high? So you can have low self-esteem and, and that's bad. Uh, and then you can get to the healthy level of self-esteem and then you can go too far where you think you're unreal and you don't care anyone else and that's narcissism. Yes. Yeah. So I think what you said also, because when you're talking about those sort of selfless angels, those, those sort of perfection mm. ideas that people have completely have no thoughts towards themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's to, what... to say that that's really healthy isn't really true. I mean, people do need to attend to some degree. Yeah. I've got myself into trouble in the odd uh, psychological world I'm in by pointing out to people that they look really odd sometimes. They do stuff that makes it obvious that they are different, separate, and therefore can't fit in with other social groups. You know, why should you dress to go to work? Why should you bother shaving? You know, why should you bother actually making sure you don't smell really bad as you go into social situations? I mean, some degree of self-awareness and self-care in a, in a physical sense and then in a psychological sense is really important to social participation, to understanding the transactions and to why we do consider some people to be much more attractive than others. No point pretending it's not the case. We do. We consider some things to be more beautiful than others in particular ways. Mm. Like we do. And these, and these have important effects on social interactions and on, on our psychological life. Yeah, they do. I mean, so you said the media, for example. Now, James has got thoughtful here. This is a problem. <laughs> I mean, you can't be in the media, for example particularly in the visual media, you know, particular things, and not be aware of those issues, how people are going to see mm, you, mm. and not be content. So discontent with your physical image. You know, people used to about cosmetic surgery and all sorts of things I was alluding to earlier on. You know, people can get really carried away with being so unhappy <laughs> with the way they are that they then start engaging in really dangerous stuff to change that. Well, you mean like, you know, surgery and whatever. Plastic surgery, So I've often surgery. thought about that. My, you know, layperson theory has been people change the outside because they think it will fix them on the inside. So I feel unhappy. It must be because my face is sagging or my lips aren't full enough. So I'll fix that and then I'll be happy and you probably are for a couple of weeks and then it will start again. Yes, unhappy with yourself or, or, or unhappy with the fact that people don't treat you the way that you would wish. So if only I looked better, if only I had different shaped lips, if that matched well, my situation, it, smaller nose and then people would treat me better, you know, I'd be more, I'd be more acceptable to the outside world. I'd be more successful mm, in the outside mm. world. More good things would come my way. And, and doing that allows you to ignore your flaws inside, don't they? You yes. Know, I mean, it's much, in some ways, it's much easier to think I'll fix my nose than I'll fix the fact that I'm you know, just not very nice to people. Yes, and this goes to then the heart of the narcissistic bit is people who we put up that in, I love your dial kind of thing. Yes, we want the dial to be in the middle. Yeah. Not too low, not too high. We'll be yeah. Goldilocks here. We want it to be somewhere in the middle of enough self-regard, but not so much. Because when it goes too much into the red zone, clearly, clearly, you become very unattractive to people. Again, you're so self-preoccupied. Yeah. Nobody wants anything to do with you. Everything, everything is only about is it going to make you look good. You know, is it going to bring reward to you in a particular way? And then, you know, people are both envious of that. <laughs> but it's also really annoying, the lack of empathy that goes with it. But I reckon there's two things there that are almost diametrically opposed. Like if someone's 
And I remember this from my comedy days. Some people would be like, oh, yeah, I have this gig and I have that gig and, you know, how many gigs have you got and how many gigs have I got? And it would sound narcissistic, but it was actually coming from a place of deep insecurity, I think, that felt very insecure about their place in the world, want to tell people that I'm going well, want to make – so it's almost like people who boast a lot, they can either be narcissists and just totally – well, I like to say totally up themselves, or they can be deeply insecure – now, are those two things opposite or are they actually – people are both at the same time? Both at the same time. Right. Left and right arm of the same animal. Okay. Which is really weird because you could – why do they keep telling me that? <laughs> I'm the smartest guy in the world. I think he's gone now from the US presidency. You know, he went down to the Centers of Disease Control and said, you know, finding viruses, doing biomedical I, – I, I'm very good at that. I could have been good at that. I could have been Trump. the world's best scientist. Yeah. You know, I could have been the world's best president. I could have been the world's best – what is he talking about? Yeah. You know, clearly he isn't any of those things. And it's so obvious he isn't any of those things. And it's also so obvious he doesn't have the capability to be any of those things. But the guy's convinced himself that he is. So he's got this, what we would call, here's, here's, one, here's a technical one, primitive narcissism. Primitive like, narcissism. Primitive. Like it's so unsophisticated. It's the sort of thing a three-year-old does. <laughs> you know, I'm the and, smartest kid in the world. I'm and, the best kid in the world. And, and, but that can come from, again, two places, can't it? Genuine belief or deep insecurity. Yeah, deep immaturity yeah. and deep insecurity. Yeah. yeah. And also a complete lack of appreciation of others. And then the classic thing is those people get really annoyed, really angry. Yeah. When people don't recognise, look, I'm the best president. In fact, I didn't even lose the election. I won. You know, <laughs> you know it gets into a really weird space of reconstructing the outside world to fit what you believe is the outside world. So are you kind of simultaneously holding, if you're a narcissist, Simultaneously holding two beliefs. One, that I'm very scared about my place in the world and how I fit in and I need to keep bolstering my own sense of that and getting feedback that that is consistent with that. And two, I'm the smartest person in the world. Yeah. So people are holding these incredibly contradictory ideas, which is if you're trying to deal with a narcissist, you go, I can't make head or tail of this. (laughs) This guy wants to hear these things are untrue. Clearly, clearly, he must... And this, this is the – actually, I might have been rude in a previous episode about Dr. Freud somewhere along the line. A few times. Probably a few times. But one of Dr. Freud's great contributions to world thought yeah. is that, you know, people say this stuff and we think, well, on the inside, <laughs> that's clearly not the case. It's clearly the opposite. Yeah. They have anxiety about that. They don't believe that. They behave like they believe it. They say that they believe it. But clearly it must reflect an anxiety or a concern on the inside, which is the opposite. And they're trying to bolster that. They're trying to deal with that anxiety by getting reinforcement. So if you really think you're not that capable, you want to get as much reinforcement from the outside world. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're a very capable boy. You're a very good boy. And you become dependent on it because you have no confidence that you actually are. Yeah. So the reverse is true. People often actually have deep self-confidence don't require a whole lot of reinforcement from the external world. They actually genuinely believe it. I, talking about world leaders, and it's easy, of course, to talk about deceased ones, but I heard a great story about Bob Hawke once, yeah. you know, and my, people might say that he was intensely narcissistic and whatever, but another level, and I heard this from many different sources actually who dealt with him, you know, he actually thought he was the smartest guy in the room <laughs> and the most interesting and the most engaging, and often when he went into situations in negotiations, whatever, he didn't have to prove that. He didn't have to have everyone tell him, you're the smartest guy, you're the most attractive guy, the charismatic people. He was. Mm. So he was actually able to deal with people on their own level. He was actually, actually able to engage them in 
and fix things and then walk out of the room and say, you know, actually, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. With great confidence that he could solve almost any conflict. You must have had this situation because you've done a few things in your life where you've been sitting around talking to people, probably not in a work context, and someone says something that is basically a total invitation for you to drop something in that you've achieved without it looking egotistical. Um, you know, it's like a natural opening where you can say, oh, yeah, I headed that task force once. And you know that it's kind of boasting, but you'll totally get away with it. Now, I've had opportunities like that, and sometimes I take them, and, but if I ever resist them, I give myself a big pat on the back afterwards. I think, that was good because I didn't boast. What about you? It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> Like, I feel like a total dork if I ever do it, you know. <laughs> like you, I've been through your media career and through my professional career, I've met some really interesting people. And yeah. so, on one level, I want to share the fact that I've met really interesting people because many times we don't. And I know that many interesting people. So my Bob Hawke example, I had a beer with Bob Hawke before he died. Yeah, right. Now, if I said to you I had a beer with Bob Hawke, you'd go, oh, what a wanker. <laughs> You know? I don't know if I would because, I, you know, mine is always, oh, I interviewed him once. Like someone says, I've read this book and I love it. Uh, you know, I read One Day by David Nichols and I, I said, oh, I, re- I interviewed him once. And I always think that's kind of a natural place to take the conversation because you can drop in a few. Yeah, he said this and it's kind of interesting and people like talking about the authors of books they liked. But also it's kind of like one-upping them, isn't it? Oh, you read the book? I interviewed the guy, you know. yeah. And so see, here we go, James. Get that dial out. We're a little on the other side. Okay, we're trying to we're trying not to say, oh, really? And how many other prime ministers have you interviewed? And how many? Oh, well, now you mention it. Oh, actually, and I'll give you my personality profile in the last six. You know, yeah. and blah blah blah. You know, so some of us, which put together, are a bit sensitive about the fact that that's the danger. You know, right? Big noting, grandiosity. You know, you're the only ABC X person who have ever interviewed six prime ministers. I heard somebody <laughs> say this the other day, I've ought to interviewed all previous six. I've dealt with 20 prime ministers. Well, of course well, they have. Yeah. They led a national the news job. program. That was their yeah. job. Like, you know, <laughs> they didn't have to tell me that. In fact, if they hadn't have done that, you know, they should have been sacked. Yeah. You know. Well, there was a period we had about five or six in two or three years. Okay, so. it used to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be hard, now it's easy. You know, that kind of thing. But it is an interesting thing because um, – I do find that, and on serious levels, and, and it's really interesting. I think to talk to people who would be in positions I would admire, and you know they have been prime ministers and they, whatever else, and they don't do that. They must have been in hundreds of those conversations, right. yeah. And they don't say, oh, "I've been in you know this conversation with Obama, and I was in this conversation, and here's my personality analysis of Trump, and here's you know whatever." They don't do that. They're not narcissistic people. So occasionally, really interesting in politics is to meet somebody who's been in a high position who's not that narcissistic. My the narcissistic favorite. ones tell you, I look, I solved world peace. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't work because they weren't listening. But I actually had the solution. Yeah, right. And if only Obama had done what I told him to do, or if only, you know, somebody else, Margaret Thatcher, had done what I told her to do, that's the narcissistic thing. You know, I was right and I was there even if the outcome was wrong. Yeah. My favourite modesty story, Edmund Hillary at um, Kathmandu Airport, uh, going up to do his good works in the mountains after he retired from climbing and a group of climbers see him and said, can we have a photo? And they give him an ice axe to hold and some big professional climber walks past and he sees this old man holding an ice axe and he walks up to Edmund Hillary, not knowing it's him, and says, excuse me, that's not how you hold an ice axe. This is how you hold an ice axe. And Edmund Hillary goes, thank you. 
That's that is the See, ultimate that honesty, is, isn't it? <laughs> that is, and that's an interesting thing. You know, we're talking about that dial, Hillary, an interesting example. You'd say that was a modest person. You wouldn't say that's a person who's unaware of his own achievements or unaware of his own. Yeah. You wouldn't say he's a person of low self-esteem. My, my earlier comment about Bob Hawke. That actually that. takes great security and maturity. Absolutely. Mm. That's a guy who doesn't have to say, oh, actually, I'm the first white guy <laughs> who ever got to the top of the world you know, on my own feet. You know, And that's, it. that's an interesting engagement kind of thing because I think when you're a bit sensitive about these things, and you and I are a bit sensitive, James, when you get left out, you sort of want to say, oh, no, actually, I am the guy that actually. <laughs> yeah. And, and also when you get pointed out as being incompetent, oh, you don't know how to do that. Well, actually, I do. I just was deliberately choosing not to. So in social interactions, <clears throat> those of us who are in the middle of the dial are constantly trying to balance the two things. You know, we want people to have some regard for what we do and its significance. On the other hand, you know, there's a there's a reward, a social reward for being more modest. Yes. <laughs> you know, not actually taking out all the space, taking all the oxygen out of the room. I don't you know, know if there's a social reward. I mean, everyone wants to be the life of the party, right? There's more uh, internal reward. Am I right or am I wrong? Ah, so what happened to Narcissist? Well, Narcissus, I don't know if we told the story. Narcissus fell in love with his reflection in the pond and he kept staring at it and he got closer and closer and he fell in the pond. And Well, you'd think he could just climb out, but somehow he managed to drown. He died. Mm. He withered. No, he wanted someone to love him in return. Oh. And he found out the image could not love him. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So he withered and died. So the curse. Withered. He withered and died. No, it's a great social story. I actually think that's great. Emotionally. I mean, in the, in the mythology, he withered physically and died. But in truth, what it says is socially, emotionally, he withered and died, uh-huh. right? Because his own image could not love him back. Yeah, right. It was so preoccupying. It was so beautiful. But, that, but we were talking about self-love. That's supposed to be the greatest love of all. We were talking about that at the start. <laughs> the greatest love of all. Don't break into song at this point <laughs> because agony, uh, you know, um, no, I'll get it wrong. No, but I think the point you make is self-love is important, but we need others. We're social animals, and if we're continually going around telling everyone how great they are, they, are, they just won't want to hang around with us. Yeah, so self-regard, self-esteem, understanding one's own self, appreciating – and I must say in this sense, appreciating what one is good at yeah. in particular. What are one's own attractive characteristics? And they may not be, for some of us, obviously, physical. They may be in other domains. And one of those, of course, is the reverse of narcissism, which is kind of empathy. Is a capacity to understand or, or almost love the image of the other, yeah. what it is like to be in their shoes or in or behind their face and understand that. That is a terribly important social characteristic. Mm. And I'm going to argue with you. I'm going to say it does lead to a sort of kind of social success of intimacy, but not necessarily in our world of external success, money, fashion, photos. Well, that's true. The best way to get close to someone isn't to tell them about you. It's about it's, – it's to ask them about them. Only. Never mention yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. To be entirely intrigued with their internal mm. world, right? Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because it's a great hook, right? It, it gets people in. Could you tell me more about you? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> have you got an hour? Have you got days? Have you got the rest of your life? I can tell you about me. You know, so as in relationships, it does to be intrigued with the other works, but it also taps into something about us, which is we love to talk about ourselves. Mm. We do. We do love to have somebody genuinely engaged with us, but not in this superficial way. The whole thing about the narcissism thing is about how superficial it is, you know, and, and in one sense, so relevant to the particular age. When, when you say, when, I don't know this, when James proposed this topic, I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's one of those things. I thought, actually, it's not one of those things. 
it's a huge problem right now because it's the physicality of things, the image, yes, which is always historically in this great Greek myth, it's always been the case, but now it's so amplified. So people are totally preoccupied with Instagram and social images and visualisation and young people that the visual thing to, is the thing to be in love with, is the thing, it's the success. That's a very good point because it's far more common for people to say, I'm not happy with my tummy than it is to hear them say, I'm not happy with my confidence or I'm not happy with the way I relate to others or, you know, something else about their internal world. Totally. How do I look? How do I look in this? And so How do I, I look as I age? You're suggesting that's been exacerbated over the last, you know, 20 years with social media and um, the predominance of viewing images all day, every day on your phone. Is that right? So I'm going back in a little bit further to say, uh, and there's a lot of discourse about this, in the post-Second World War advertising world of Western society. So before we blame it all on the mobile phone and Instagram and Let's blame it on advertising. Let's go back one. In the modern, in the consumer world, if you want to convince people to buy stuff, you get really attractive people, young models, you know, blah, blah, blah. You glamorise it. You make the thing. If you buy product X, you'll actually look like person Y and you'll attract the particular things. And we're going to take it right up to the sort of, we had to talk about the Kardashians. You know, I've often asked people, what do the Kardashians do? Oh, they don't do anything, in. They just influence. How do they influence? By being on a TV show. By doing what? Nothing in particular. <laughs> just by looking, right? And you go, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going, I'm, I get my kids explain this to me constantly. I still don't get it, but it works. <laughs> you go, well, actually, it is all about the image in a particular way and the presentation of that and then the, then the active manipulation of that. So that was already going and going in consumer societies, and you'd say, driven by – and, of course, just remember, in that period, you saw the development of television as a global thing. So we had, you would have movie theatres and stuff, but we didn't have the visual image in our lives constantly. Mm. People said it all happened with the modern phone. I go, hang on, did you ever meet the TV when it went on? Yeah. TVs in every lounge room, visual images in every lounge room. You know, there was a long discussion about how did John F. Kennedy come to become president of the United States – because he was young and looked good. Oh, right. You know, the first television and Richard election. Nixon, oh, Richard Nixon. He sweated in the debate. Yeah, he looked like an old, sweaty sort of guy, you know. <gasps> Give us the young, attractive guy. You know? Interesting. A lot of discussion about recent times. Obama. What a great, young, fit guy, you know, an image of a thing. I always think, perhaps a bit sadly, it would have been great if Obama was president now. <laughs> you know, mm. maybe not when he was quite so young. That's a sort of ageing view. But, you know, the image thing, the image has to be right in a particular way. It's preoccupied politics. It's preoccupied advertising. It's preoccupied the world. TV, huge daily input into that. And then in the last 20 years, clearly, the movement of the image into mobile technologies are now being preoccupied. But, of course, now producing your own image. I mean, do you remember when we used to all watch the ABC Games. Mm, yeah. You know, there was a thing. Apparently, there's a thing called the seven o'clock news. Apparently. I've never met, my kids have never met it. But apparently, there's a thing that, you know, you had to speak right, didn't you? Oh, you did, yeah. Oh, you had to have a proper, what was it? A broadcaster's voice? Yeah. I never had one. Yeah, you and I. You had to have a head, a voice, <laughs> an image, a thing, and it had to be engaging in certain ways, it had to have authority, or you saw, I mean, <laughs> in current world events, I have been known to wander across Fox News. And every time I wander across there, I think, I just can't take it seriously. You have to look at the Fox News US. You have to look a certain way, blonde, white, you know, like, I go, like, what is that? For that, that's not the story. Right. 
you know, it's not the credible kind of image. Okay. So but that's been going on for a long time. But if we say that the gradual increase of the, the frequency and the um, uh, the amount of visual images we watch and the, you know, handsomeness and prettiness of those visual images has amped up particularly narcissistic tendencies for our outside Um Let's talk about self-diagnosis and self-treatment. Well, just before we leave this one, I was saying the acceleration of that in the last 20 years is really bad, and we are really concerned about why the mental health of young people's deteriorate. And one of these issues clearly, clearly is the preoccupation with the image and not the psychological health and well-being of the person. Yeah, good. So how do you diagnose yourself and how do you, if you think, actually, I am a bit like that, how do you fix yourself? Because it's not something you go to the doctor for, I would imagine. I mean, maybe therapy has its role. But firstly, how do you tell, actually, I think I am a bit narcissistic or a lot. For those who've ever been to my waiting room or further from my waiting room to my actual office, (laughs) not a lot of narcissists get in the door. Because because I think they're great. They're not in the waiting room. (laughs) Who's in the waiting room? Their wife, their children. (laughs) So the main thing about narcissism, one of those terrible things, it mainly causes suffering to others. Mm. In the surrounding world, it does a lot of harm to those in the surrounding world, as we discuss quite a lot. To those who are more sensitive, who live with, who keep hoping that that will actually change. So, however, however, sometimes narcissists then run into a narcissistic crisis. <laughs> you know, this worldview, this very fragile worldview we were discussing earlier on, like the great Fabergé egg, it cracks. <laughs> you know, something happens where the feedback gets in. Really, you're not a very nice person. And actually, you're quite shallow. And actually, there's not much to love. And you're not very capable. So sometimes when the whole house falls down, it's really problematic. And then I think there is an opportunity for change. There is an opportunity for how has it come to be that the person has built up that such sort of rigid but also quite fragile yeah. that is so dependent on actually the outside world. So I think – in a hopeful way, we always bring hope through this podcast, I think, James. For those people at those particular points in time or under influence from others, I think you do see the capacity to then go, hang on, hang on a sec. <laughs> is this the way that you've operated? And if it is the way you're operated, and I think it comes back to your central point, there's a low, fragile self-esteem thing underneath. Yeah. So what should you look for? I mean, if you're someone who, you know, enjoys the mirror, posts a few uh, posts a few selfies, has... 4,000 Instagram followers or maybe someone very different who just finds themselves, you know, just notices that actually in conversations they are talking about themselves a fair bit. What are the signs you should look out for that you might be a bit like this? How dependent on it are you? Yeah. How many times a day you got to do it? How often do you go back to check? I know the really one is the feedback from others. How dependent are you on them saying the right thing? Mm. Now, since men got mentioned there, how angry do you get when people don't or they provide alternative information? How irritated do if you they get? they don't what? Tell you you're great. Yeah. In fact, no, no, they tell you, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, for those who saw uh, Putin lining up, line up all the people, am I the greatest uh, head of the Russia ever? Yes. <laughs> or the old Stalin says, right. if not, I shoot you. Then you're not, no problems anymore. <laughs> Everyone else agrees. You know, how dependent, I use that sort of classic Stalinist kind of analogy, because how intolerant are you of anyone actually disagreeing? Right. Or not not just disagreeing, but actually not actually providing the positive feedback. But also, there, I think there's a way of slicing that in that sometimes, and I often get this with books I write, someone will give me feedback 
you know, that character's not, there's just something about it I don't, I don't find real. But what I hear is, I hate you and your entire creative life is worthless. So sometimes perhaps the sign of narcissism is taking something specific and extrapolating it to kind of mean more than it does. Yeah, so now you're into a, another thing because we discuss this a lot. I'd call the first thing you described as interpersonal sensitivity. Right. Which is actually oversensitive. Oversensitive. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you say my complete <laughs> creative. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going too far. Okay, going too far. Yeah. Because clearly if you've successfully written books and you've done creative writing before and you've done whatever else, you have something of a track record in the thing, you know. So somebody's negative feedback or somebody else in a particular thing isn't proof that you have no capability in that yeah. particular area. So you have overreacted, yes. Yes. That's an interpersonal sensitivity. But if that's in all the things that you do, you know, it's quite widespread and you're very sensitive and your reaction to that is fundamentally very aggressive. Oh. You know, really aggressive. Shoot well, you are. You use the booking note. Yeah. You are the worst book editor there ever there was. Every single editor I've ever, ever sent this stuff to says that I am the best creative writer they've ever employed. So you are the problem. Right. And and that's a story you're telling yourself to avoid you thinking that you have perhaps done something that isn't that good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's proof of, yeah, it's proof of the fragility. Mm. Those of us who live in the academic world, I mean, we run on criticism. We put in grants. That's the worst grant I've ever read. We send things to academic journals. You get these comments back. These guys must be kidding. Now, it's interesting because we have our fair share of narcissists actually as well. Yeah. So it's... This elderly professor a while ago said, I've never had a grant rejected. I've never had a paper rejected. Good on you. I went, what? <laughs> was he alive? Is he part of the <laughs> same industry? But he tells tell me this story like like really seriously. Like I think he, he has just wiped out, removed from interaction. And this is this kind of primitive narcissism. This is so untrue mm. but also so unreflective. And, of course, I don't, his capacity to learn out of that or his capacity to work with others is about nil. Yeah. Right, you know, so it's very dysfunctional. Um, your interesting comment about, but clearly in some industries, in some situations, people survive with that. They get away with it. <laughs> they might get all the way to be president of the United States. Yeah, you know, a certain sort of robustness about it, a sort of sort of breakthrough kind of thing, a certain sort of competitiveness, and this aggressiveness that goes with it to wipe out opposition. <laughs> you know, surround yourself only with those who reflect how powerful, beautiful, intelligent you are. Of course. You know, that is then the problem. So incredibly dysfunctional in marriages, in organisations, in other kind of areas. And I would say in the political sphere, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've recognised that you've got some narcissistic tendencies, uh, external or internal or both. Um, what do you do about it? Like. If you don't think, okay, I'm going to go and get therapy for a year, what are some, you know, little well, things you can do to, to Okay, so James yourself? wants the little narcissist here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said some interesting things yourself. Like you got the great example of the not big noting. Yeah, right? and being conscious about that. The Edmund Hillary example. Yeah. Right? I mean, it is actually, I think, observing what people who are good do in those situations. Who are good. What do you mean who are good? They've good got people. skilled. They're skilled. Right. right. So they've actually got good reasons to have pretty robust self-esteem. Oh, I mean, Edmund Hillary's got pretty good reason <laughs> yeah. to think he's a pretty good mountain climber. Yeah. And you might see this in great sportsmen. You see it in great politicians. You see it in great other professionals. Some of the best, for example, um, 
I, I need medical people. Like I need surgeons. Personally, I need surgeons. I need great doctors. The ones I see, they never go on about how good they are. Yeah. Right? They actually, yeah, but they right. are. I know they're really good. And they obviously believe it because they don't have to tell anyone. They don't oh, tell anyone. You're... They know they are. Right? They don't have low self-esteem. Yeah. They actually know they are. So try and resist the temptation to uh, big note yourself. What about- You don't if- have to belittle. My point was you don't have to belittle yourself, mm-hmm. right? If you're a really good surgeon, you're a really good doctor, you're a really good sub- sportsman, you don't have to turn around and go, oh, no, I'm not. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm really hopeless at that. Like that, that like nobody believes that. Yeah. So sometimes what narcissists do is do that. Oh, and then really they're drawing. Oh, draw and of course, then what happens? You go, oh, but hang on, you hold the Australian world record for X. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. Okay. What, Did you notice my last win? <laughs> what, what about people who, you know, possibly are narcissistic on a more physical level, who are always thinking about changes they want to make to their bodies and then I'll be happy? What can they do? Now, here is the behaviorism. Yes. Stop. Right. Don't do it. Sounds pretty simple, but it's not oh, that wow. simple. Oh, wow, is it hard? Is it hard? Is it yeah. hard? And if you're under social pressure, it's hard. In the social situation around young people at the moment, young women, is terrible. women as they age at the moment, the pressure to engage in the other is huge mm. in a particular way. But if you're trying to actually resist that, then actually being comfortable, accurate requisition of what it is and then the value of what it is. Mm. So trying to reconcile. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? An aging person. Actually, mm. do I need to do I need to change that? No, I really want to. No, but I really want to. Okay. Yeah, I really want to. Oh, okay. Because that's the problem. New glasses. What yeah. am I going to do? I can change this. I can change laser that. surgery. Yeah. yeah. Um, Injectables everywhere. There's all sorts of things. Right. Now, what you got to do at that point is go. Well, what difference would that really make? You definitely give me a short term hit. There's no doubt. If it worked, if it was good, I'd, I'd look in the mirror and think I look five years younger. But really, where am I going to be in three months? Is that still going to be there? Yep. No. And also a bit of experimentation here. Mm. This assumes that everyone else does notice. Oh, no one gives a rat. There's one of the best bits of advice, isn't it, you can give someone. No one gives them a rats about you. No one cares about you. I mean, you know, in, a, in an appropriate way. They hardly notice, right? So I've said to people all the time, someone said to me recently, didn't you notice my new haircut? I went, oh. Do you want the honest answer? Yeah. All right, I'm relatively unobservant, but no. Did you change this? No. In fact, what do you notice? You notice when people do really bizarre things. And you see this a lot in the cosmetic world at the moment because people are bruised and moved and their eyebrows don't move or they're suddenly there. And you go, hang on, something has changed. And it's actually very unattractive. <laughs> it's actually, I was once working in a uh, skin clinic. Well, I wasn't working in a skin clinic, I was borrowing a room to work in the country in something that the rest of the days of the week was a skin clinic. <laughs> and they had these before and after photos, right, of all these people to get them to have this surgery. And the after photos looked much worse than the before photos. They were scary. So one of the things is is actually, does it really, do people notice and does it actually really improve the situation? So there's a bit of, classic here, James, cognitive restructuring, a bit of challenging yeah. and a bit of, Actually, you think people are going to notice. So go and see, like you get a good example, change your hair colour, change your glasses, change your whatever. Do and something see, cheap. And do, so, do something cheap and reversible, yeah. you know, and see what happens. And actually, some of those things, does anyone notice at all? So one of your actual assumptions that everyone's noticing everything isn't true and often that these things will make you more attractive, actually people don't notice at all I, or they say it's more unattractive. I can give you an example of that. For ages, I, after I went bald, I used to have like – you know, 
centimetre, two centimetre hair long on my sides, right? But I always wanted to shave my head because I thought it would kind of just look neater and a bit better. And but let's I, face it, low maintenance. Yeah, low maintenance it is. And I, I and But I was too scared to because, I don't know, this is about 10 years ago, it was kind of a big move to have a shaved head. But a lot of many people had them. They're kind of trendy now. But And I was a bit scared to do it. And so eventually I worked up the guts about 10 years ago and I shaved my head. And I remember walking down my street first thinking, everyone's staring at me, going into the shop, data going somewhere. Not only did no one care, no one even noticed, as you say. So No that, one that even noticed. I think that's the most fabulous huge. thing. Is, yeah. It was such a big thing and no one noticed. And that is that classic disconnect, I think, between all the kind of ideas we have in our internal world, about what the rest of the world is thinking, yeah. how they're responding, most of which is in our own head. Most of the time the rest of the world doesn't care. Yeah. In fact, they're not noticing. Exactly. Which leads, of course, to why – People then have to do more and more outrageous things in the Kardashian sense, oh, do all sorts of gross body distortion stuff to even get anyone to notice, right. let alone but to value. But just on that, and I, we're nearly out of time, we've got two more questions after this, but just on that, if someone does something that to you and me looks really weird, there's two reasons why they could be doing it or a combination. And one is, as you just described, look at me world, look at me, please pay attention. And the other is, I just really, really want this bit of metal sticking out of my eye or whatever. And the second reason's cool, isn't it? Like, that's fine. If you if you want it and it gives you pleasure, that's great. If you're doing it so the world will notice you, that's not so healthy. Am I right? Yes. I'm, I'm agreeing with the second bit strongly. If you're doing it for the social reinforcement yeah. of the world in a particular way, you are on the road to hell. Right. <laughs> that just always ends in tears. Yeah. The first bit about the sort of creative business, about what people do and what they do with their own bodies – we should take this up on another occasion. Oh, okay. This is kind of a complicated thing. So the, the right to do it, the right to be in charge of your own physical self and how you express that is really interesting. Yeah, okay. In both a positive way in which you were saying, but also in a lot of the worlds I'm in, in a destructive way. Huh? But it is, a, it is a thing about yourself. It's not about the social world reaction to it. You're not doing it yeah. to get a particular social reaction, although people might assume that. Yeah. In particular ways, people do it for a whole lot of reasons, and I think in some good, in the way you accept their own mm. self-expression, it's for themselves, it's how they want to be. Others for not so good and perhaps darker reasons. Ah, so, um, we'll episode four hundred and thirty-two. Yeah. We'll get back to that. We're we'll talking about the evils of wearing earrings and stuff, body piercing, <laughs> body changing, which is not about what we're talking about today. It's not about the social yeah, approval okay. or not. It is about a different kind of internal world. Uh, final two questions. Babies and toddlers, all pretty narcissistic, surely. Three-year-olds, yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. So what's going on there? No I mean, that, that suggests it's a normal state of human behaviour to be self-obsessed. You grow out of it, I suppose. It is for the social reaction, though. I mean, first of all, three-year-olds are got to work out who they are. I mean, when a dog looks in a mirror, what does a dog see? I don't know. Another dog. <laughs> takes takes other animals oh, a oh. huge amount of time to work out that the thing in their mirror actually oh, is them. Three-year-olds In fact, too, some eh? species don't. So three-year-olds have got to figure it out. Who is that kid in the mirror? Right. Right? Then they've got to move an arm. Mm. That's funny. That kid moves its arm too, you know, or whatever. Okay. And then they start to then they start on my ground and put a pink, pink bow in the middle of my head or something. You know, so there's an identity issue there and a lot of it is sort of visual and like where do I look? Like, who am I? It's, like, it's, it's actually a thing. So there's a developmental thing going on. And it's pretty interesting if you're three because you've never seen that before. Mm. You've never been able to vary that before. And- you're playing with the social world. You're seeing what the social world responds to. 
in particular and, ways. And as you become more knowledgeable about the social world and realise it can be really fun at kindy and school and whatever, the narcissistic tendencies, it's all about me and how I feel, are kind of smoothed out and you develop empathy, you learn empathy. Yeah, complex dance going on between what parents, grandparents, other things say about you. Oh, you're the prettiest kid that was ever born. <laughs> you know, the smartest kid that ever lived, you know, yeah. blah, 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 that bit. Versus the other bit, where do I fit in to all the other kids in the world and the rest mm. of the social world? So that's a complicated developmental dance. Now, when it goes wrong, this contributes to the development of those sort of narcissistic personalities in various ways. Yeah, okay. Final question. Uh, we talked about the dial with people with low self-esteem on one end, people with healthy self-esteem in the middle, narcissists at the other end. Where are psychopaths and sociopaths? Are they on the dial or are they on a different dial? And what is the relationship between narcissists and psychopaths and sociopaths? Different dial. Different dial. Different dial. They're on the empathy nastiness <laughs> yeah. you know, dial. But, but something in common with narcissists. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people have commented on the overlap, it, the, the very narcissistic because of their very low empathy for others and the, the demand. I'm going back to the uh, Stalin example here. You know, I am the world's greatest dictator, aren't yeah. I? Um, and um, yes. if you disagree, I will shoot you. Right. <laughs> right. So, but I want your honest answer. But I want your honest answer because I my way of the world. So, and I think sadly you do see up the extreme end of the dial then a good deal of overlap between extreme narcissism and a willingness to punish and hurt mm. others okay. because it doesn't fit doesn't um, enrich me. Yeah. The, the psychopath thing, though, is a more thought through really evil, the nature of evil. The psychopathy thing is often more evil. Right. Nasty. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. a lot of narcissism isn't evil. It's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> is there a correlation with IQ? I know you think IQ is an imperfect measure, but just, you know, with intelligence? I don't know. You know, we don't don't actually. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the literature about that. Because I think I, think I can remember it, really smart people actually being really up themselves, which is my word for narcissistic. I've met uh, dumb people who are really narcissistic, yeah. and I've read some of the most highly intelligent people, the university professor I was talking about before, who, in an IQ sense, are way off the scale yeah, on the yeah. positive end, but way off the scale on the. So I don't. I'm not sure the two are actually correlated. I think we've seen in both ends of the dial. Righto. Good on you. Thank you. That was interesting. Any questions, comments, suggest further topics for us, and thank you to everyone who's been doing that, do send us an email, mindingyourmind2, that's mindingyourmind numeral 2, at gmail.com. And uh, Minding Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. health. And further help is available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them or you can call Lifeline on 13 double one one four.